1: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter,
2: New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always well my co-host, Nick Pilato. Today, we're here to break down a few things on the Giants spectrum. The first will be a little voluntary OTA talk. One thing that stood out to me was probably who was there, who wasn't there. I know, I know. Look, I'm not the biggest Harper on you got to show up to these things. But this is a different year, and it's different for me as far as who needs to show up and who doesn't. If you're an established veteran, not only on the roster, but within the NFL, it's different than somebody who's coming into year two, in my mind. And all of this changes when you factor in a new coaching staff. So we're going to talk about that. Obviously, the big one that comes to mind, I'm sure you guys have been reading about it. But we also want to get to some of the top 30 visits the Giants have made already. With a hyper-focus on the running back position, what does that mean? And that will transition us into a player who they did already bring in for a top 30 visit. And again, these private top 30 visits, they're at the Giants facility. They get a chance to really know them and see how they interact with the players who are showing up for the voluntary OTAs. I'm sure you saw the video of the two Georgia players who the Giants brought in for top 30 visits and them interacting around the ping pong table in the Giants locker room with the players who did decide to show up for the voluntary OTAs this week. And then lastly, we are going to do a draft profile of James Cook, the running back prospect out of Georgia. We've now done Damien Pierce and James Cook, which is funny because from a value-based standpoint, these are probably going to land as number one and number two on my list of value-based running backs in this class, meaning the pack, I think, provides the best value, best bang for their buck based on my ADP, my own personal ADP of where I think these guys are going to be drafted. And I shouldn't say average draft position. It's such a fantasy football term. There's no average, but projected draft position PDP we'll go with that but before we do any of that Nick how you doing today my friend how is it over
1: there in sunny Arizona because god damn it it's been raining and cold here on the east coast it is beautiful out here almost to the level where I'm starting to get concerned because it's starting to get hot bro and I know in a couple (laughs) months I'm going to be like yo I wish I was in Jersey and I'm going to really strongly try to forget the fact that I made fun of all of my friends and family who were freezing all winter yeah
2: wow I mean, look, it's tough for me to sit here and listen to you complain about the heat when I'm dealing with this kind of cold weather, but I'll let you do it for now because I have no idea what that Arizona heat is like.
1: Hopefully soon, though, Dan. Hopefully soon. I want to get you out here because I know you would love the landscapes out here, bro.
2: Yeah, I got to check it out, and we will, and we will get out there. We will definitely hang at some point, but let's talk about the Giants. Let's start with the OTA stuff. Now, here's what I know. I know Xavier McKinney, who's growing into a big leader with this team, the Giants cut Logan Ryan essentially in some ways, or some people believe, to promote McKinney as a leader of this defense. And he's going to likely wear the green dot or whatever you call it, be kind of that leader, that um play caller on the defense. And Wick Marndale's defense, it's not typically the linebacker, but it's the safety who wears that green dot and who serves that role. And so it was great for me to see him show up. And he said during his uh during one of his interviews though, you know, at the ODs like. Everything he's been through so far with the Giants it feels like he's in he's going into season six, not season three. That's a weird rough thing to hear from me. It's just like <laughs> Jesus Christ, it really sucks right now being a Giants fan when you hear that, you just know how bad it's been. go to go to h Dave Gettleman. I'll leave it on that because I just hate I, I hate what he did to this franchise and all the people are like, give him time. give him time. no, no time. you you screwed it up so freaking bad. but look. He's like, we got a fresh start now. It's different and it feels different. They brought back the ping pong tables, you know, (laughs) that's just just like a a microcosm of the old Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman ways. And hopefully they're kind of a little bit more nuanced and new age and understanding what, how to connect to players of today, like McKinney and one person who reportedly wasn't there, though, again, I want to make this clear. There is no confirmation on this because there was no media access at OTA's. But giant insider uh podcast guy, um, Chris Pisagno reported that Kadarius Tony wasn't there. I, I don't exactly know how he knows that, but you know, no one has refuted it so far, Nick. So right now we're gonna go with that Tony wasn't there. And I'm curious your take on this, Nick. Are you are you at all concerned with Kadarius Tony not being there? I'll start there and then I'll. Extend the question and let you extrapolate and talk about: Are you at all concerned with Kadarius Tony right now? The overall basis, like the overall what we have right now in Kadarius Tony, not just this incident, but everything combined.
1: I think that's where it is concerning, right, Dan? This has become a trend of Kadarius Tony, a pattern, if you will. And I don't need these these players, these NFL players, these adults, to be obsequious and, and be like a servile type of player for their coaching staff. But I would like them to show up to voluntary workouts specifically when there is a new coach and a new general manager in town and you're trying to appeal and ingratiate yourself towards those new entities on your team and it's not something that Kadarius Tony reportedly did. Now I don't know if there is a contract bonus or a lack of contract bonus that says if you're at voluntary workouts you get x amount of money and how that really works with Kadarius Tony. I'm not really 100% sure on the specifics there, but one thing I am certain of is I want you to want to learn this new offense. I want you to want to be there. I don't think this is the end of the world, but it's definitely not something that is encouraging to hear given the past things that we kind of seen from Kadarius Tony.
2: Yeah, and a lot of people have reached out to me because you know, I did tweet that I am concerned with him not being there for the reasons you mentioned, Nick. One, new coaching staff and you want to put a good foot forward. Two, it's all about trying to be the best at your craft and that drive to be the best possible receiver in the NFL. We all saw what Kadarius Tony was capable of from a pure athletic physical trait standpoint last year. I mean, he came in as a raw route runner and ran some of the sickest routes we saw. We saw him completely destroy Trayvon Diggs on a route against the Cowboys early in the season. We saw him have a 10-plus catch, 100-plus yard game that he took over in a lot of ways. We saw him do a lot of different things that made you think, oh, my God, this could be an alpha wide receiver one, one of the best players in the NFL. But guess what? The Giants were big believers in him as a prospect. That's why they felt like they could trade back and draft him. And they saw the same things. And they probably saw that game and said, how we did it. Look at our scouts. We figured this whole thing out. We got one of the best talents in the draft at 20. But guess what? All the teams that passed on him and took wide receivers before him, or even the teams that took wide receivers after him, because I'm convinced the Jets would have taken Eli Moore over him. I know I would have taken Eli Moore over Darius Toney yesterday, today, tomorrow, today for the rest of time. And as far as Rashad Bateman goes to to the, to the Ravens. I had him rated higher and I would have taken, I still would have taken him over Tony because part of the evaluation isn't just what they're capable of from a physical trait standpoint and what their ceiling is. It's also, do they want to be the best at their position? Do they want to buy into this thing full time? Do they want to work on their craft? And do they have an injury history that you think might translate to the NFL? Can they hold up at the next level so far? I'm not sold that Kadarius Toney wants to be the best wide receiver in the NFL, the best player in his craft. If you listen to Michael Jordan and some of these greatest athletes of all time, they'll tell you what made them the best is that they want their their competitive drive, that they wanted to be the best possible player that they can be. I haven't seen enough to sell me yet that Kadarius Tony wants to be the best receiver in the NFL. I know if he's going to live up to his hype, he's going to have to want that. And I know that his injury history is troublesome to me, Nick, because when he was drafted, I talked to uh, somebody who used to work down on that Florida football team and cover them on the college paper. And he told me, look, I was like, what happened? Tony, Tony looks unbelievable on tape. What's the deal with him? He's like, well, honestly, we didn't really get a chance to see it until this last season. He's been injured. His entire career at Florida comes into the giants and has an injured first season with the giants. You know, when you have these build-up injuries, these continuous injuries that, that, that plague you for a long time, it makes you a little bit more in my mind, susceptible to reoccurring injuries. So, Right now, for me, with Tony, the ceiling's obviously there. We saw it last year. I think he has a higher ceiling than Elijah Moore. I think he has a higher ceiling than Rashad Bateman. Hell, I, someone could probably talk me into saying he has a, as high a ceiling as Devontae Smith in some ways, which is crazy to think about, but I just felt like he put he put on tape some some things that no one else really in this class put. But it doesn't really matter if he's not going to buy into this thing full time, if he's not going to want to be the best possible receiver he can be, and if he's not going to stay healthy.
1: Exactly. And that's only if, obviously, that report is true, which we can't 100% confirm, but a lot of people have not refuted it, as you said before. I don't think there's a way to look at this situation and say there isn't some concern that comes with the situation. Again, I don't think it's the end of the world, but this trend that has been set is, to use this word again, a concerning trend. I don't think there's any way around that. Yeah,
2: especially because, look, Kenny Galladay may no longer be with this team long-term. We don't know what this Kenny Galladay situation is. I think... It's so dependent on what he puts on tape during this season. And in, in in some ways, unfortunately for him, it's dependent on quarterback play. I know a lot of people blame it on the offensive line, but the quarterback play has been terrible regardless of the offensive line over the last few seasons. And last year, it was just atrocious. It was hard for in my mind, Kenny Galladay to get going with that kind of quarterback play. And at times, as we said during that first Mike Glennon start, it's almost like, really, it took us 15 weeks to throw a back shoulder to Kenny Galladay. Um, and, you know, it just wasn't there between Galladay and Jones. They didn't have that rapport for some odd reason. They didn't have a good connection. And so I still, the book's still out for Galladay, but he's an older prospect regardless with an injury history himself. So the Giants kind of need someone to step in and be the wide receiver one long-term for this team. So I don't have to add another position to their ridiculous list of needs. And that guy is Kadarius Stoney. He's by far and away the prospect that needs to fit that billing right now on this roster. So I want to see him step up and I want to see him show up to voluntary OTAs and Act like somebody who wants to be the focal point of this offense moving forward, the face of this offense moving forward, someone who they can build around, someone who they're confident in building around. And I, I when he doesn't show up, if he didn't show up, it, it, you know, it says something to me. And I'll and I'll just say this thing, Nick, because I found it so ironic, and I tweeted about this as well. You know. <laughs> We, we had to sit there and listen to the Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman era. They them tell us how important off-field character is and how important wanting to win is and how important that drive to be the best football player. And it was great lip talk, like it, lip service. It was awesome. And I believed in a lot of it because I, I just went over my personal point of view that if you're the best player, all the best players in the NFL are the ones who work the hardest. Even Odell Beckham, like early in his career, he didn't show up for OTAs, but he was out training and doing things that he believed gave him a better chance to be the best possible receiver, and I'm not saying Kadarius Tony isn't doing those things. We have no idea right now, to be quite frankly. And if he is, kudos to him. And I'm totally fine with him skipping all of OTAs if he's working with a personal trainer on his routes on different things to become the best receiver. But we heard all about how it was prioritized with the Giants, and then that same regime drafted DeAndre Baker and Kadarius Tony with two of their first round picks. So I just I, that to me was one of the most ironic, the low key most ironic thing about the ridiculously troubling dave gettleman joe judge pat Shermer error
1: yeah pat Shermer has to be grouped in there with with deandre that wasn't uh, joe judge and i think they were just trying to get james betcher the cornerback that he desperately needed after swinging and missing on sam beal in the what was it the conditional draft third round pick Uh, it's just uh it's ridiculous how everything just did not work out for that regime, but we're turning the page to this one. And this is not a great start for Kadarius Tony. If everything reported is true.
2: Yeah. And it is what it is. I think we can move on from there because we still need more information on it, but let's talk about something else here. Let's talk about the private visits. The giants have had so far. So for those who don't know the giants and all teams around the NFL are allotted 30 private visits before the draft, that's only 30. That's not a lot. You, you know, they're going to end up drafting. The giants are going to end up drafting it depends if they, if they trade but they could end up drafting 8 9 10 players depending on what kind of trades they make with those picks i think they're going to i ultimately think they're actually going to trade up in this draft nick which is a topic for another podcast and that doesn't mean in round 1 by the way but i don't think they want all these picks and they can't really ultimately afford all these picks right now at the moment though they could i guess like we talked about last podcast restructure Leonard Williams again but i you know i don't i don't know about that or they could trade barkley that's a whole nother thing that leads me to my next thing. They've been using a lot of these top 30 visits right now, Nick, on the running back position. And this is eye-opening to me because if you look at the 2019, 2020, and 2021 cycles, they really didn't spend almost any resources at the running uh, evaluating the running back position. That's not to say they didn't have any top 30 visits or combined visits at running back, but it wasn't anything like this. The Giants have now brought in Brian Robinson from Bama, Brees Hall, who's widely viewed as the RB1 or RB2 worst behind Kenneth Walker. And James Cook from Georgia, the running back. And those are just the ones that we've had reported so far. That doesn't mean, you know, not all of these combine interviews uh, have gone reported. Even some of the top 30 private visits will trickle in as far as the reporting goes. So I'm interested in the fact that they're gearing up and they're starting to evaluate the running back position like they haven't since the 2018 draft when they drafted Saquon Barkley. What does it say to you when they're doing all this with Barkley on the final
1: year of his contract? I think it makes sense that they're at least seriously entertaining a running back with one of those two third-round picks, possibly 36. I don't think it would be that high, to be honest, although they'd probably get their pick of the top running back in the class if they were to go in that direction. But it makes sense, man, and not just because Joe Shane was with Brandon Bean and they spent a 2019 third and a 2020 third on Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, but the Giants aren't going to extend Saquon Barkley. I don't think that's going to happen. You might have Saquon Barkley on the roster right now. So you might as well find your long-term running back going forward, at least for the first contract. You're probably not going to allocate a second contract, although who knows what the NFL is going to look like in a couple of years. To me, it says they're going to really entertain it with one of those third round picks, because more than likely, at least two of those players probably won't fall to day three. It'll probably be third round picks, possibly late second round picks in terms of Iowa State's Brees Hall. Another way to look at this though is maybe their evaluations weren't complete on James Cook and Brees Hall because they were juniors. They didn't get a chance to see them at the senior bowl. So maybe they didn't get enough time with them at the combine or the time that they would have liked. So they really wanted to nail down the rest of their evaluations with these pre-draft visits. But then that doesn't explain Brian Robinson, who was at the combine and at the senior bowl. I'm sure they did their due diligence there. So I think the interest is real in the running back position. And I don't know the, or I'm not sure I should say of the fate of Saquon Barkley. I wouldn't be shocked if he's on the team in week one, but at the same time, I wouldn't be shocked if he's not.
2: Yeah, until now, I was kind of under the impression, especially based on Mara's comments, that Barkley would be her week one. Now I'm a little bit less certain of that because of the interest they've shown in the running back position in this draft class. And ultimately, we look back at Shane's tenure as the assistant GM with Brandon Bean over in Buffalo. And they were big-time believers in using that date, those day two or day three picks at the running back position. To was Singletary was day two, right, round three? They were both round three. Both round three. I thought Moss for some reason was round four. Okay. Either way, the Giants have two third round picks in this class and they were big believers in finding their backs in round three. And I'm for it. I commend them because while we have talked about on this podcast with me, Nick Turchin, whoever's been on this podcast since it's start, neither, none of us are believers in ever drafting a running back in the first round. That's just off the table for us. And we're also not believers really in extending the running backs with their short job lives. But, Running back is still an important position. Both me and Nick are well aware of the impact that a running back can make on an offense and on winning football games. Despite now, it's not to say that those are the type of guys that you should look to extend to make the face of your franchise and divvy up all your cap space to, but a cycle of them you find you can find good value, I should say, when you take them in round three and round four, because the NFL is all aware of this. The NFL is on the same page and they're letting these guys slip that might be the best overall player because of the position they play. And so if they feel like after these interviews and after the tape they watch of Robinson, Cook, Hall, any of these guys, that they're the best player available at some point on day two or even on day three if they continue to fall – I'm going to be okay with them selecting a running back who they think can impact this offense. And it doesn't just mean for next season for the future, because if they can find a lead guy here, you can get him under contract for super cheap for four years under team control. And then you don't have to worry about the running back position, or you can take another one on day three, but either way you can use your cap space to allocate it to positions of longevity and more importance. And so, and and obviously the positions that pay well in the NFL that you have to worry about, uh, you know, players, asking for bigger contracts in. So I'm definitely for it. I would be okay with taking a running back on day two. I'd rather it be on day three personally, Nick, and we'll get to that with the James Cook evaluation. But if you sit here, and just because I think there's a lot of good prospects and other positions available for the Giants in round three, but I'll say this, where do you stand on the possibility of the Giants drafting a running back? Would you be okay with them drafting one? Oh, sorry, how high would you be okay with them drafting one? And how high
1: would you prefer they draft one? If it's their guy, if it happens in the third round, I'm not going to complain, although I tend to agree with you. I think I'm going to like other players that will be available in the third round. So ideally, I would say probably the fourth round, the fifth round. But if you're going to get your top-rated running back somewhere at around pick 80, don't you got to jump at that if he is comparable in grade to the other players that are on the board? If you do, are not going to move forward with Saquon Barkley and if you are planning on trading Saquon Barkley before this season,
2: Um, if you, I feel like you, you, you take one, if you feel like he's a step above the grades you have on the other players, if you're, if it's comparable to the grades on different positions, I actually would not take a running back
1: there. And I think that's actually a a very, very fair point because like we've said several times, Dan, this is a deeper draft. There's going going to be people that we're probably going to really like around pick 80 around pick 100. So I can see a scenario where they might overdraft a running back. And then we come on this podcast and we're like, oh man, I really wish they went with, you know, this interior offensive lineman, yeah. Or I really wish they went with this tight end because then that tight end was selected before. And then we had to settle for another tight end later. That's not nearly as good. I can see that scenario play out and there's so much that still has to happen. And that's why this conversation is somewhat fascinating. I don't want to say frustrating, but we just don't know what exactly is going to transpire and who will actually be available. But just kind of looking at the class as a whole, I think I'm going to like other players, but if it happens in the third round and there aren't a lot of other players, I'm not going to throw a big fit about it.
2: No, not at all. And look, I've seen, I have I did a prospect evaluation on CBS sports.com fantasy of Brees Hall. And I, I honestly feel like I'm watching a, in some ways, a faster version of Arian Foster. So I like Brees Hall. If he continues to fall somehow to round three, which I don't see happening, I'm definitely interested in him in round three. I'll I'll start by saying that. I would 100% use a pick on him in round three.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
3: with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.
2: Some of the other guys that we're going to get to Brian Robinson and we'll, and, and today we'll talk about, we talked about Damien Pierce last week. Today we'll talk about James Cook. I don't think I'm going to want to use a round three pick on any of them, except for maybe the guy we talk about today, Cook, but even then I'd prefer to wait and try to value play it and see if you can get him at the top of round four on day three. But we'll talk about that in a moment, but as far as, you know, whether to use that pick or not for me, the cutoff is definitely 36. I would be pretty disappointed if the giants did use a pick at 36 on the running back position, especially considering there's really doesn't to me feel like there's a Nick Chubb in this class or a Dalvin cook in this class. Personally, while I like Brees hall, I just feel like he's not at that level. Um, And I don't know how you feel about that either with hall or with Kenneth Walker for that matter. But even so, I'm still not really in the business of trying to find the Nick Chubb, Dalvin cook outliers in round two. I'd rather try to get my play
1: in round three or round four. Especially since the NFL is a copycat league. How many day three picks that we see last year just come into the NFL and automatically be huge contributors. Khalil Herbert, you had Ramondre Stevenson, you had Elijah Mitchell. doesn't mean the giants won't take a day three running back, but it does mean that you can find value later. And that's why this, position has been somewhat appreciated over the last several years is because there's a lot of players who can step in and have an impact.
2: That's a great point, Nick. Like just those three alone, I think you'd be, I we'd have to do this. It'd be a fun exercise to do it position by position. But as far as the major impact, some of those guys made like Elijah Mitchell and Ramondre Stevenson for a stretch, it'd be hard. You'd be hard pressed probably to find any other position where you can find that kind of impact. Even like, even if you just think of like the, the, the skill positions, like wide receivers, There weren't really any day three guys that stood out to me. Was Nico Collins a day three guy? I think he was drafted a little earlier in day two.
1: Yeah, Nico Collins, it it was either the fourth round or late third round. I I thought it was late
2: third for the Texans. But regardless, even if it was just him, there wasn't really too many other major impact players drafted late in this class. So definitely something to keep an eye on as we move forward targeting the running back position.
1: So Dan, I, I think it's safe to ask. I mean, you bring a guy like Trayvon Walker into your facility, you know the Giants, need edge rushers. And we know that Joe Shane coming from the Brandon bean tree really values these long physical type of edge rushers. How interested are the giants actually in Trayvon Walker? Cause I can easily see a scenario if they do retain both of those picks, which I'm not hundred percent certain if they will, but if they do or Trayvon Walker is on their short list.
2: Oh, he could definitely be on their short list. When you look at the track record, like you said, with Shane and just the, 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 on the, the, the upside, the ultimate upside with a player like Trayvon Walker You could easily see and even like, you know, the Giants might even feel like, oh, yeah, he didn't play that many snaps. He didn't have that much production, but that they may feel like that's a good thing because they may feel like if he did do all of that and if he did have a different role on that defense or was on a different defense, he might be the number one pick clear cut. And so if they feel that way, I think they take him at five because they feel like they're getting a great value there and, and one of the higher upside picks of the draft. I haven't studied Walker as much yet as of these other edges. So I'm curious to get your take on him because I know you've actually started to do some film work on him.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, dude's this big, this size shouldn't move like that. If you go to Mock Draftable and you check out his spider graph, it's almost just fully <laughs> filled out. It's it's really remarkable to see in the length that he has over 35 inch arms, over 84 inch wingspan, almost 11 inch hands with a 162 10 yard split at 272 pounds. None of that can be taught. There are not a lot of players coming from college football into the NFL with his athletic and size profile. They're just not built that way. Now, the production is the issue. He just didn't produce. He didn't have a high pass rush win rate. He wasn't sacking the quarterback consistently. Now, Georgia's defense doesn't necessarily maximize those abilities for Trayvon Walker, but at the same time, you got to look at his first step. You got to look at the power and the strength that he possesses. He's very, very violent, and he's very, very physical, and he has the quickness and explosiveness. So that should suggest somebody who can win the one-on-one matchup he just didn't do it because he is very very raw he needs a lot of help with his ability to shed he's one of those guys who's going to try and attack with power and then once he can't win with power then he's kind of just stop or stalemated. so i think the use of hands must improve it has to improve i think it definitely can improve so all of those things intrigue me about trayvon walker and it's a lot of projection it's a it's a risk it's prognosticating because you didn't necessarily see it but given his size his frame and the athletic capabilities and the bend that he does show i didn't think it really came up on tape but then you watch him at the combine bending effortlessly and you're like holy crap and there were some times on tape where he would loop inside and you could see him just dip the like just so suddenly just dip his inside shoulder and then the tackle just swings and misses. And he's so quick and has so much burst that he can just get into the pocket. It's just not something that we saw all that often. So there's a risk that would come in selecting Trayvon Walker. But if you told me in two years, Trayvon Walker, you know, that guy's the best defensive player from that draft. I wouldn't be shocked. And I know a lot of people feel that same way. It's just, uh, you got to trust your coaching staff to really unlock the massive potential that Trayvon Walker currently has within his arsenal. Yeah. And speaking of Walker, I'm
2: curious to get your take on this as well, Nick. Um, I recently listened to a podcast with NFL films guru, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Greg Cosell. And literally every time I listen to Cosell, I learn something. This guy's just sitting there watching film hours upon hours upon hours every day. And he went over something that that I thought was really interesting. He feels that the profile of a pass rusher in today's NFL has changed. And he feels like front offices are changing what they're looking for in a profile of pass rusher. And in his mind a primary pass rusher evaluation should now focus on what can that prospect, what can that pass rushing prospect do within the first three to five yards right off the snap. So what he wants to focus on is initial reaction and get off moves. And he's saying secondary reaction moves are often too late in today's NFL because, and we talk about this all the time, it's a big reason why I'm a believer in pass cover in, I shouldn't say pass coverage in individuals who can operate in man press coverage versus individuals who can win one-on-one pass rushing. And he says, in today's NFL, it's too late often, those guys are the secondary reaction pass rushers, because everything is so quick. The, every offense is based now on mixing in RPO, mixing in quick hitting concepts, mixing in designs that are really destined to get the ball out of the quarterback's hand in two and a half seconds or less. In which case, you know, these secondary reaction pass rushers, these power pass rushers, are at a major disadvantage now because the ball's already out by the time they can get there. He says, while power pass rushers are still formidable, it's only because the best ones still have speed and burst. He said, pass rushers today, this is from Cassell, they need to be able to flatten and bend to the quarterback in addition to explode and have that initial get off off the line of scrimmage. So what are your thoughts on that and how it relates to a prospect like Trayvon Walker?
1: Yeah, so Trayvon Walker, like I said, I feel like he's somebody who who showed more bend when he was running like the figure eight drill and his combine work than he did necessarily when he was asked to bend the edge. But the problem with that is he wasn't really asked to bend the edge too much at Georgia. He, to me, strikes me. He does have the explosiveness. He is quick twitch. But he's not the Boye Mafes or the Arnold Epichettis of the world who are much more, I think, zero to a hundred than a Trayvon Walker. I feel like he's much more based on power. Now that's just him as a pass rusher. Can he develop those quick moves and then use the burst that he does have to gain an advantage? Yes. But another element of Trayvon Walker's game, which I, I didn't mention before is his excellent run defense and his length that he has. So I think the length could also be a disruptive nature as a pass rusher, not just because he's going to be able to keep tackles away from his chest when he's fully taught on how to maximize his length but he can get those arms in the air and those are tree trunks bro to kind of just be an absolute nuisance to block those throwing windows which is another aspect of his game now in terms of what you were talking about with Greg Cassell I don't think Trayvon Walker is necessarily the best or quickest from zero to a hundred off the snap But that doesn't mean he's not worth a top 10 pick either in my opinion yeah Interesting.
2: And listen, thank you to Big Blue Seven on BigBlueInteractive.com because I listened to that that Cosell podcast earlier while working. Didn't obviously transcribe it. Didn't think I was going to get to it on the podcast, but Big Blue Seven over, but BBI did transcribe it. So it was like a nice like uh, reference point for some of this. And we we might have a further conversation on this because the bigger topic that Cosell went over is, in his mind, teams are changing the way that front offices are evaluating this draft class and how to build a roster moving forward is that they're prioritizing these man coverage corners and man coverage defensive backs over these one-on-one pass rushers. It's what we've been talking about on the big Boo banter podcast for a very long time. And there's a lot of studies that show, and I know a lot of people are still non-believers in this. I see it all the time on my timeline. A lot of people still believe, you know, the most important thing are those pass rushers. They point to the Giants super bowls and I get it. Look on third and long situations, you still need guys who can win one-on-one, but, the third and long stuff. And then, and and again, they are still the money downs, but most of the today's NFL game is a quick passing game. And it's, and there's even more things that are like introduced every year that are furthering this, like the RPO game. And those things are becoming a bigger part of every team's offense. So ultimately you need these guys who can hold up and man coverage because zone coverage has its limitations. That's something even Patrick Graham said, I know he still used a ton of zone coverage and the giants defense did have its limitations within that, right? Like, When we've seen some of the best defenses play at their peak over the past three years, Nick, or let's say over the past few years, who has some of those defenses been when they were at their peak? The Ravens have had some of the best peak on defense over the last few years. That's wink Martindale when they've been healthy at corner, the dolphins have had some crazy peaks on defense. Like when they shut down Lamar Jackson, that's what Brian Flores and a man coverage team. So if you look at some of the best defenses and had some, some of their best peaks over recent years, it has been those man coverage based teams with the cornerbacks and the defensive backs who can hold up in that regard.
1: Yeah. The Patriots. I mean, they're the, one of the best examples of it too. I mean, you need the horses to do it. And that's why, like I look at the top 10 and like if they retain both those picks, go out to the right tackle and get sauce. If he's available, And if you want to trade back and take a roll of the dice in Derek Stingley Jr., I mean, you need to make sure that there's a fine checklist that you need to go over and make sure that he checks a lot of boxes because he has those injury concerns. But if you're talking about a man coverage type of player, he did that at LSU and he did it at a very high level, but it was back in 2019. Now, I think an interesting thought exercise with Stingley Jr., Dan, not to go on a tangent, is what if his 2019 tape was in 2021? How would we view him? Oh, it would be
2: so different. Recency bias is huge. It's huge in fantasy football and it's huge in the NFL draft process as well.
1: Yeah. And that's not to say that you shouldn't be concerned that 2020 and 2021 wasn't as fruitful as 2019, but I do think it's a fun way to kind of view the prospect as a whole, but yeah, just back to Trayvon Walker, man. I mean, there are a lot of other players that I want just because I feel like he has bust potential because you haven't necessarily seen a consistent player at the At the uh, collegiate level even though he was on a dominant defense but if you're shooting for the moon if you're going for upside if you're going for somebody who can legit make a huge difference and be a transcendent type of defensive player although he is not there yet go with trayvon walker and you said it before man if he maximized his skill set in college he'd probably be the first overall pick so you would be getting him at seven in this scenario so that is another way to look at it i'm glad you brought that up
2: yeah for sure without a doubt so Let's transition here. Let's talk about James Cook and his draft profile. James Cook is on my short list, Nick. As I again, I talked, I waxed poetic about Damon Pierce. I loved watching his tape. I felt very similar about James Cook. I think he's gonna ultimately be one of the best values at running back in this class. When we look back, I'm curious to get your take on that and if I'm off on that. And I found what I found so interesting about Cook is I actually really liked his 2020 tape better than his 2021 tape. Watch a few games from 2020. I thought the best game that I saw overall from him came in 2020 against Alabama, against that dominant Alabama defense. He put the full slate of things you want to see from a running back prospect on film in that 2020 game. He had one cut that was just clear. It felt like I was watching Dalvin Cook. Honestly, it looked identical to Dalvin Cook. It was Quick cut right at the line of scrimmage where he cuts downhill, has that acceleration, that burst, and just division. It seems like he finds holes that aren't there or that other running backs just aren't gonna see. He also had a crazy vertical route in that game. Or actually that was against yeah, no, that was against Bama. I haven't mixed up with Arkansas, but that was against Bama. He had a really fun vertical route where they lined him up in motion against a linebacker. I think it was it might have been Christian Harris, um, and, and had him run a vertical route on the boundary. And it just shows you the kind of weapon he can be both in the pass and run game. So if you're looking for one game for for James Cook, I would suggest to watch that Bama 2020 game. But, you know, when you're watching him overall, 2020 or 2021, Nick, it's so hard to not see the like that you would know
1: watching him that he's the brother of Dalvin Cook. Am I right? Ah, yeah, he looks a lot like Dalvin Cook when he runs the football. And I don't think the prospects are fully the same. And we'll go over that a little bit later, but yeah, yeah you-, you can definitely see it.
2: Yeah, agreed. I don't think he's the same as Dalvin. He's obviously not as big as Dalvin's 50, 20 pounds lighter. I also don't think he, I think while he has better long speed than Dalvin, and he tested at least in that, he ran a 4 4 1. Dalvin, I believe, ran in the 4 5s, if I remember. It was a disappointing time. On tape, I feel like Dalvin Cook is not only as fast long, like long speed wise, straight line speed wise. I think he has definitely more acceleration after his cut and more bursts. What
1: are your thoughts on that? I actually think James Cook has pretty solid. Burst out of his breaks and, and all of that, and he can go. No, I don't think over. it's bad. I mean, Dalvin's yeah. is
2: like next level good.
1: I haven't studied Dalvin Cook's film, you know what I mean? Yeah, I've yeah. just got done watching James Cook, but I will say I think James Cook is has plenty of that. And I think Dalvin Cook in general, from when I did study him back at Florida State, was still a better prospect than James Cook, a more complete prospect. But if you want somebody who is explosive, who has burst, who is a one cut running back who could put his foot in the ground, locate a hole with excellent vision and then explode through it. That's James Cook. It's just when that hole gets muddled and there's a lot of bodies in the area. Now, I feel like he was actually pretty good at evading him, but when he has to absorb the contact, that's when I'm like, that's not necessarily his strength. I think he has solid contact balance, but he's not somebody who's going to run through a lot of players. That's not really his game.
2: He didn't run through a lot of players and you're right. He is not someone. His contact balance was, was okay. It wasn't anything I thought was amazing. His ability to break tackles and create after contact, isn't great, but I don't know if that's necessarily Dalvin's game either. Dalvin wins with the vision and the, the, you know, very little wasted steps and movement from that standpoint and the cutback ability. I mean, and that, and that goes in hand in hand with the vision. And I thought I saw a lot of the same from James on tape. So before I go any further on the things I like about him, I do want to ask you to give uh to give me, give us his strengths after watching cook on tape.
1: Yeah. So I just got done doing actually last night, a big blue view YouTube video. So if you guys want to head on over to big blue view, I broke down about 15, 20 minute video on James cook. And I love his footwork. I love his ability to press the line of scrimmage. I love how he manipulates angles of defensive backs. Once he is in space and he's square to say the safety, I think his vision at the mesh point was very very good he yeah. goes and he reads and he looks at his landmark and then he deci- decides what he's going to do based on that secondary flow if that linebacker scrapes too far over the top he's going to hit that hole and I felt like he did a really good job kind of judging all of that so in terms of him being a running back in the backfield not just his receiving upside I feel like there is a lot there lightning quick feet really feels the cutback lanes very very well like I said solid contact bounce, but I would agree with you it's not necessarily one of his biggest strengths I think he's patient and I think he is a smart running back now when you talk about his receiving ability he had several plays where he aligned outside to the field side sometimes as the number one receiver the one against Christian Harris that you mentioned from 2020 he hit Christian Harris with a little shimmy inside that just froze him enough and then his acceleration out of his break when he's running vertical I think Is excellent he has that second burst that he can kind of unlock and be a vertical threat as a running back who was aligned as a wide receiver and then you get him out as a fast two or a fast three sometimes get the football in his hands he does well to challenge those angles of the secondary like I mentioned earlier he had this arrow route against Kentucky in 2021 that was so crisp and when you catch a Defense in man coverage, and you run that arrow route, and we've been talking about this for years, Dan, it's dangerous because the middle linebacker had man coverage responsibility on Cook, and he flowed so hard to account for Cook because he thought Cook was heading to the flat. Cook has that type of change of direction to just explode over the middle of the field and caught the ball and took it for like a 20-yard touchdown. There are just so many runs where he displayed unique vision and footwork and the ability to make players miss and not get a clean shot at him, and I think that's something that he can utilize to maximize his lack of ability to to really absorb big contact I feel like he did a good job against Tennessee doing that where there was a bunch of bodies around him and he was able to kind of jump around them and evade them and then find the hole and explode for I think a 17 yard gain so he has all of that within his skill set I think he can improve as a pass blocker again physicality something that I wish he had a little bit more of but overall I, I like James Cook and I think he's going to be a weapon in the NFL
2: yeah, I'm with you. And I think a lot of the traits you went over, I wouldn't say are the most elite of elite, like, but they're still really good. So the acceleration, still really good. The, um, you know, like you said, the ability to kind of not have wasted steps, still really good. His ability as a receiver still really good. But what sets him apart is the vision. And I think the vision is based on a lot of what you went back and it's the processing we've talked a lot in the past about, you know, what's holding Saquon Barkley le- back so far at the NFL level. It's not just the injuries. It's in a lot of ways in my mind. And I believe, and I know you agree, been the processing, the mental processing, why do these guys like Nick Chubb stand out without elite athletic traits? Cause anyone who looks at Nick Chubb or Dalvin cook, because Dalvin cook really didn't test well at the combine can tell you, these guys aren't anywhere near as elite athlete as Saquon Barkley, but what they have is the nuances of playing the running back position. The processing, the mental processing, the ability, like you said, to set up the blockers, to understand where the safety is flowing, to understand different little things that give you "quote unquote" great vision. The vision is based on the processing, and that's what I see when I watch Cook. He's really very nuanced as a running back, and that to me has me super excited, even more so than you know the little things, like not the little things, but the other things, like his acceleration, his his ability to have wasted move uh, to not have wasted movement and steps. I really like him as a prospect cook. I understand the limitations based on the size and the fact that he was never used as a workhorse, but you can get this guy in the weapon as a weapon on your offense in a two-back system. And you can use him in a variety of ways. They used him in jet sweep motion. Like you said earlier, they used him lined up on the boundary as a receiver. I think there's different ways you can use him as a receiver as well within your offense. And when you factor all that in, he's definitely somebody I want to target. But one thing I want to talk to you about, which I thought was interesting, and I'm curious to get your take on this. I felt like he was a much, much, much better pass protecting back than I ever could have expected. Like there were a couple of plays that stood out to me. There was a really good job from a processing standpoint. I believe it was 2021 game against Bama. Uh, Tim Smith was blitzing in and he processes this fast enough which kind of should have been an unexpected blitzer. He processes it fast enough, makes the move to get to him in time, and cuts him down, and that gives Stetson the time to make the throw. There's also a really good block, I thought, in the 2020 game against Arkansas earlier in the season where he just steps up and bodies a blitzer face up, and that shows something to me for somebody who's such a smaller, you know, a much smaller player. Some of the best pass blockers in the NFL history from running back position aren't the biggest players, and some of the worst are some of the ones who have struggled have been some of the bigger players. I don't think size really has anything to do with it, in my mind, from what I've seen. And I was curious to get your take on him as a pass blocker.
1: Yeah, I mentioned it a little bit before. I think it's something that he can improve. I think he locates it well, but it's more of a strength thing. There were a couple reps where, I think it was against Tennessee, where there was a second-level defender who came in on him and then just turned him outside and then got a pressure on the quarterback. Then there was another, if we go back to twenty twenty against florida where he comes out and he was tasked to block a linebacker and the linebacker just turned him aside i think the strength is the issue but he does sink his center of gravity and i also saw and i think this is to your point here him cut a couple guys at the knees or lower and he did a good job executing those blocks and i also felt like there was this play in 2020 where zach carter was rushing off the edge engaged with a tackle and he added the chip And when he adds the chip, I feel like it's pretty effective and it gives enough of a blow to just stop that edge rusher who is currently involved with a tackle in his tracks. I don't think it's the worst part of his game, but I do think the 199 pound frame will hold him back a little bit. He needs to be excellent with his technique and maintain that low profile in order to be as effective as a pass blocker. And I would agree, man. Think about some of the best pass blockers in the NFL. James White, very good pass blocker, not the biggest dude. Dion Lewis, Very good pass blocker, not the biggest dude. So I think if you are that small, you just need to make sure your technique is perfect. And Cook, I don't think his technique is deficient, but I think he could stay a little bit lower and maybe not lean as much into it and anticipate the contact, which is something I saw. Again, I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world, but I wouldn't say that pass blocking was something that he was excellent at.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I don't, I'm don't. not saying definitely not saying he's excellent at it. I guess my I came into it, Nick, thinking he was going to be really bad there and an immediate liability. And instead, I came out of it thinking like, OK, he might be able to hold his own here.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it, to to be honest. I do because I I expected something similar and I tried to like get that out of my brain when I'm doing an evaluation because it's like, yeah, I thought he was going to be really bad. He's not terrible at it, but he's still not really good at it. So I try to like rationalize it in my brain to to not go into my evaluation thinking that he's going to be bad. And then when he's better than I expect, then I make him better than what he actually is, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. So I see him as a potential weapon immediately for the Giants. And I see him as somebody who may ultimately be even better player at the NFL level, just based on the fact that, he, you know, his limited, I guess, reps at the collegiate level. So I'll, uh, so I'll say this, Nick, where would you, how do you feel in regards to those two things? As far as you also kind of agree, he could be a really nice value play for the Giants and at the running back position. And also where would you be comfortable with the Giants drafting?
1: So comfortable with the Giants drafting them, it would be in the third round, I think. So that's that's kind of where I lean with all the running backs, kind of my, my ceiling. I'm not going to be comfortable, like you said earlier, drafting somebody like James Cook or any running back at 36. There's just going to be way too many players that I'm going to want on the New York Giants at that area. If you're talking about one of those third-round picks, preferably the second third-round pick, I think I can say that I'm comfortable enough, but ideally – You want to be in day three, but I don't know how unreasonable that is because I think a lot of teams are going to look at James Cook and say we get the football in this guy's hands. He can make a lot of big plays for us and that type of skill set might be valued somewhere around day three because he possesses the ability as a receiver and he also possesses the ability as a runner in between the tackles. I don't think that's I think he's better out in space than he is between the tackles, but his vision and his ability to challenge angles is something that definitely helps him. The one play that I wanted to, to bring up for anybody who wants to go to YouTube because it was against the it was against the Crimson Tide and it's on YouTube because I put it on my um my my YouTube video was the was the play against Alabama in the national championship game. Cause I talk about how he makes angles tough for secondary. So I want to really highlight that. And this was a shotgun run with James cook offset to Stetson Bennett's left. And it was a counter run. So the play side guard is going to pull to kick out the MN on the line of scrimmage, the backside tackle. is going to locate the most dangerous man. James cook presses the play side so hard that Christian Harris flows over the top. And that allows the double team ace or actually the double team deuce block to to take effect where the tackle climbs and then he can locate Christian Harris because Christian Harris watches James Cook and he's flowing to get James Cook. But in doing so, he flows right into the offensive tackle. So that eliminates Christian Harris and automatically creates this cutback lane where the safety is going to be the only player in the backside B gap. So once James Cook notices that, he puts his foot in the ground and explodes through that gap and the safety over-pursued as well. So now James Cook is square to this safety and the safety doesn't have the athletic ability to really – redistribute his weight off that outside foot explode and then locate james cook james cook just explodes into space and then runs for 67 yards before eventually being tracked down there are little plays like that just that that really give you the impression that james cook is going to be an effective inside the tackle type of runner not just somebody who is used in space
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that is a really good point because a lot of the questions surrounding him as a runner
1: aren't just based on his size. It's based on his
2: ability. Can he run between the tackles? And that's where I kind of feel like watching him and watching so many similarities between him on tape and Dalvin Cook on tape. Leads me to believe that he can be an effective runner between the tackles. That's why I think he can be such a good value pick. I don't think you're drafting a gadget player in James Cook. I think you're drafting a potential full, especially if you can put on some size, which is definitely possible. Like, this is not to say he's maxed out from, from a size and athletic standpoint. If you can put on a little bit more size and, and strength to and you know to, to lead to a more durable role or to lead to a more durable projection, I would say. I think he can be your lead back on an offense that, like most offenses should be in 2022, is using multiple backs.
1: Yeah. And that's what a lot of teams are doing right now. And that's what some of the best teams are doing. They want multiple backs. And I think James Cook has a unique enough skill set to where you can use him in a variety of different ways. And at worst, you can use him as a receiver because he seems pretty natural at doing that.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so. I'm gonna open it up and say, look, I'd be okay with him in round three. I was originally gonna be like, I kind of just want to go ahead and just and just wait on him and hope he falls to round four. But he he's somebody who might end up on my target list for round three.
1: I don't think it's unfair to to think that. To be honest, I he mean, he can add so much to the offense right away. Yes, he can add a lot to the offense right away. He'd be a difference maker at the running back position. Now again, it's all gonna come down to the value right if there are other players at other positions i'm going to like you said before and i think you made a really great point if they're comparable and great i lean towards the other position but if the giants feel like this guy is above and beyond the other players and they think that he's going to fit into this locker room and be a huge part of what brian dable and mike Kafka are going to do then you go and you make that selection in the third round and they obviously have interest they're not going to bring him into the facility for for no reason there's obviously some interest in a player like james cook and it makes sense as to why Yep. No doubt about it.
2: All right. Anything else on cook before we
1: turn the page on this one? No, I think that's about it on James cook. Just, uh, he looks a lot like his brother Dalvin when he's running the football, man, but, uh, they are different players. They are different players.
4: So it it is
2: uncanny though. Some of the, some of the stuff you see on tape like the, the one cut he made against Bama that he turned into that big long run. Um, and I think it was the 2020 game or 2020. I don't even remember it. No, it was the 2021 game, the national championship game. Yeah, man, the play you broke down, the, the national championship play, the 2021 national championship play against Bama. My God, that that cut back against Bama, that that looked like I was watching Dalvin Cook. Like you can take away the size. They're obviously not the same prospect, but that was like watching Dalvin Cook.
1: And he had a couple against Tennessee that were really similar too, where he's just putting his foot in the ground and he's just fine in the hole and exploding through and reading his blocks, despite the fact there's a bunch of people diving at him. And again, there was another one against Kentucky that was similar, man. Bunch of people just diving at him and he's just juking and just making them all miss, man. Excellent short area quickness, runs low to the ground. I love, if you just pause some of this tape, Dan, I'm sure you did this. You can see when he's cutting, just like how low his base is and how much power he gets off of the foot that he's exploding off of. And I really appreciate someone with that type of athletic ability and ability to accelerate through holes and combine that athletic ability with the vision, you got a good football player.
2: Hell yeah. All right. That's all we have for today. I'm James Cook. Keep it locked and loaded on the Big Blue Banter podcast. Have a great rest of your week. And I haven't asked for this in a while. So if you haven't done it, go ahead. Throw me a throw, throw us a subscribe, a download, maybe even a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Do it. Do it for us. Do it for the brand. All right. Thank you. Have a good rest of your week. Good night.